0: All right, so we are, um, we're few in number tonight, but I think we have a very interesting uh, passage to talk about or think about. Uh, It's one maybe you haven't thought a lot about, maybe you don't feel like you can get a lot of spiritual nourishment out of a passage like this, and you would, I think, be, it's understandable to think that. Let's start here. How many questions does this passage raise? What are some of the questions that it raises? Let's just get those out on the table before we start. Right, yeah. How did Noah find out what his son did? Yeah, that's good. How did he know? What other questions? There's a lot of them. How long did it take before uh, this happened? Yeah. How long were they in that perfect harmony with God mm-hmm. before they messed up? Yeah, was this day two after the flood, or was this day 200, or what? It's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Noah must have been really drunk. That's right. Just how much did Noah drink? How big was his vineyard? Yeah, had he done it before? Was this new? Yeah, we're not told any of these things, right? Um another question that comes up a lot, maybe you've thought it, what's the big deal about what Ham did? I mean, he just saw his dad naked, okay? Well, that's disturbing, but what's the big deal about that? Why is why does it why does it warrant a curse like like Noah gives, so why wasn't the Noah for being that? and why why didn't Noah curse himself? you know <laughs> exactly, yeah, there's a lot of questions, any others It may have been, so what actually happened? yeah, and that that's a question like, okay exactly what went down here he could have, covered this and kept silent he could have yeah. That's certainly implied. Yeah. Spread to brother. Yes. Yes. Well, some of these questions we will address, but I want to try to help you see that this passage is actually more than just a curiosity. Okay, it's more than just a, hmm, interesting. Let's think about, you know, these deep questions about nakedness and all the rest. I think this passage gets to the very heart of the Bible's teaching about sin. And grace, You say, huh? Yeah. How? Let me show you. Uh, three ways I want to show you. If you look at your bulletin, I, I just want to talk you through three things, and we'll, we'll, we'll interact throughout, and many of the questions you guys were raised, we're going to answer, uh, or we're at least try to answer as best we can. Uh, first of all, we see the threat of sin in this passage. Then we see the wide reach of sin, but then finally and most amazingly, we see the grace that covers all sin. The theme of covering over shame is very much at the heart of this passage. And, of course, it's at the heart of the Christian faith. So it's a big deal, this passage. It's not just a funny little story that gets cut out of the kids' storybooks. I've never seen this one, by the way, in a kids' storybook. (laughs) And for good reason, probably. But it's got a lot to teach, nevertheless. So first of all, the threat... Of sin. Uh, I want you to remember something about Noah, and, and it's been a week or two since we were here because last week we took a break for Easter um, to talk about the resurrection. But remember what it had said about Noah way back in chapter 6. Let me just ask you was Noah a positive character or a negative character back in chapter 6? Extremely positive. What specifically did it say about Noah? Friend of God, righteous man found favor with God. In fact, that's the first thing it said. Before it said he was righteous, it said Noah found favor, meaning Noah got grace. Grace came to him. In a time period when almost no one seemed to know God or care about God, people were fast becoming just about as bad as they could possibly be. It was getting worse and worse. And here's this one guy who received grace, he and his family, and because of that, Noah began to walk different. He began to live differently. Very positive uh, in fact, so positive that it's only eight people that survived the flood, and they're all related to Noah. They all survive, in- including the three sons that we read about in this story, all survive because Noah found favor with God and was a righteous man by grace. Noah gets into the ark with the animals, survives the whole flood ordeal, comes out of the ark, and what's the first thing he does? We talked about this last week. Worships God. Gives a sacrifice, lifts up the praise to God for the deliverance that he did. Now, what apparently is the second thing he did? Planted a vineyard. Good thing or bad thing? Good thing, all good. Third thing he did? Sampled the wine. Good thing, bad thing. So far, so good. What's the next thing he did? Sampled, sampled again. And again, <laughs> he apparently sampled more than he should have sampled, right? Over and you know, kept going. So think about this for a second. I mean, you've got to kind of put two and two together. In our terminology, Noah's a Christian, right? He's a believer. He's, he's walking with God. He's found grace with God. He's, he worships. Um, he leads his whole family in worship. He has saved literally the whole creation, or God saved it through him, and yet was sin a threat in his heart? Oh, yeah. Very much so. And Apparently, Noah was not as aware of its threat as he should have been. And I find that's often the case with me, too. I don't know about you, but I'm not as aware as I should be about how easy it is to enter temptation and to go deeper and deeper into it. I mean, think about how easy it is to go from planting a vineyard, good thing, sampling the wine, good thing, to then drinking more and more and more and more and more until you are naked in your tent, apparently passed out unconscious. How easy is that? Extraordinarily. It depends depends on how good the wine is, yeah, it depends on that. It depends on a lot of factors, but generally, that's not a hard thing. All of us can imagine that movement it's very subtle. Why would he plant food? Well, he probably did, yeah you know, I mean, it doesn't tell us yeah, there's priorities, yeah it doesn't tell us he didn't, but but you know we're saying like in the order of the story, the, the second thing he did after he worshiped was he planted a vineyard now, now of course he probably, he had planted grain or other things as well, likely he did, or else you know how would they how would they live but I think his error came because instead of taking one of God's good gifts and using it to enjoy it and to praise God for it and give thanks for it, he used it to such a degree that it took away his ability to praise God and thank him for it. Uh, in fact, uh, John Calvin says that's always the measure of when a good thing turns into a sin issue. John Calvin said that's how you, f- that's how you know that your use of a good thing has Spilled over, sometimes it happens very subconsciously, but you spill over into it being a bad thing It's when you're no longer capable of returning thanks to God for it because your use of it has incapacitated you In the case of wine, it's easy to see how that happens You get incapacitated because you drink so much of it That you're not physically, you know, you're not mentally aware enough to say thank you Lord Or praise him Or at least not in an acceptable attitude it can also happen with other things, though, right? It's not just wine or, or things like this. Many good things in life can become so um, we can become so obsessed with them, or so taken in with them that we lose our ability to use them as a way to give thanks to God, and they become idols rather than blessings. Jan, from Calvin. Yep, yeah, and I'm paraphrasing, but because I don't have it written down, but. Calvin says numerous times in his writings that you know that you've moved from using a good gift of God to abusing it when you use it to such a degree that you're no longer able to give thanks for it. Um, now, let's think here. You've got to put on your thinking cap. We know how that happened with no. We know how that happens with wine and all that stuff. How could it happen with your job or your parenting? or your house, or how can you be incapacitated by your, your use of a good thing to such a degree that it becomes a bad thing? Okay, talk me through what that sounds like. Yeah, kind of right. Yeah, for, for example, job. If you're so obsessed with making money or success or reaching that next level on the ladder, it can become such an obsession that you literally don't remember to think or have presence of mind or the right attitude of heart to say, God, thank you. Or God, I'll, how can I glorify you in this? You've numbed yourself. It's it's like you're drunk on your job. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've accomplished. Yeah. That's right. Or you don't acknowledge that your gifts and talents that even do come from Him. Come from Amen. Same thing with parenting, right? You can become so obsessed over your children's performance or how they make you feel or all those other things that we can tend to do with our kids that we can incapacitate ourselves. But usually you may be incapacitated because they're not performing. Exactly. Because anger can rise up or frustration. with your. I mean, anybody got an issue with frustration with kids? Maybe a few of us. (laughs) Not anymore, yeah. (laughs) Alex says... Wash my hands of that one. Yeah, yes. Oh, so for the days, right? <laughs> <Is it laughs> That's right. No, probably not. Yeah, yeah. But you, we can all see how this happens, um, and this is what. I mean, you, what I, my point is is it's a, it's a threat primarily because it's so subtle. Okay. Uh, Noah, Noah. Unlike, say, some of the other people in the Bible, I mean, Noah doesn't build a golden calf, for example. He doesn't take other wives. He doesn't take. Where there weren't any, right? <laughs> they would have to be related to him. That's true, but we can still give Noah credit that he didn't do that. Um, he he didn't um, he didn't steal. I mean, he wasn't doing things that seemed, on the face of it, awful. He was he was he had an idol though. At least in that moment he, he idolized a good thing. He turned a good thing into a god thing. And the threat of it was very serious. Even though he didn't feel like it was that serious. I mean for him it was probably just an afternoon of kicking back, relaxing, having a good time. And it probably was a good time for a while. Um he could have been drowning pains and sorrows because I mean I'm sure some major Yeah. PTSD, <laughs> and the entire civilization. Yeah. Alive, I mean and Sure absolutely, yeah Noah's human like we are, right, so he had all the frailties and experienced many dark things and had a lot of weight on his shoulders he, he was the He was now the father of the human race <laughs> suddenly he didn't pick that for himself, but that's what he became, and I'm sure that was a way of of, of escape, and it seemed like a very you know, ever-present help in time of danger, the, the, the bottle of wine or the bottles that he consumed, but it ended up catching him. It ended up gut-punching him and, and, and maybe even gut-stabbing him in this situation. And the, the we're going to see in a minute the effects of this sin, as little as this sin may seem, were very far-reaching, even though he didn't understand it probably at the time. And a lot of times we don't understand it either. Uh, We tend to think that, or at least, you know, sometimes we think that we're immune to sin or at least the sins that would really catch you. We think, I'm a Christian, you know, I may mess up in little ways, little besetting sins, but I'm never going to get caught by that. But Noah's story, I think, is a great reminder that, no, you're capable I'm capable, we're all capable, and we always have to humbly rely on God rather than be arrogant. Remember what I said, Noah found favor with God, he was a righteous man, he built the ark, he saved his family and the whole world through the ark, he worshipped God as his first act after he got out of the ark. I mean, this is a good man, and he's passed out in the tent drunk. He sure did Imagine being on that boat And and the difficulties of being the leader With the other people Not to mention the care for all the animals And various things I mean it it was probably a very humanly speaking Stressful situation Absolutely Yeah That's right Yeah. This was his thing. Yeah. yeah. He became a man of the soil, which is a yeah, way to say it, almost like he, this is this is his job. You know. And so it took on a different life. And you know, he gave himself over to it. Um, it's not a bad thing to enjoy God's good gifts. It's not a bad thing to become a man of the soil or a man of whatever job or a woman of whatever employment or job that you have. Again, John Calvin, the difference between the good and the bad is are you able to acknowledge the presence of God and give thanks to Him throughout what you're doing or have you lost your ability to do so because you're drunk on it? Very important, I think. Uh, Boundaries are important in this way. And really, this story is all about boundaries. All about boundaries. Um, It just wasn't supposed to be that the son saw the nakedness of their grown father. Now, by the way, these boys aren't kids. This is not a story of children walking in on their dad and snickering. These are grown men with families of their own. So that makes it a little bit more aggravated in terms of just how serious it is. But it's all about boundaries. They were not supposed to see their father's nakedness. And even though they may have accidentally, they certainly were not supposed to talk about it or boast about it, or demean their father about it, which is is what it seems Ham did. Uh, When I used to teach this to high schoolers, uh, I would say it's a little bit like um, seeing your dad naked, passed out on the couch, taking a picture and posting it on Facebook. Imagine that. Now that would be bad, right? That would not just be simply, oh, I accidentally saw him. Oh, man, I feel so ashamed. The point here is that Ham didn't feel ashamed. He went public with it and wanted everybody to know it. Uh, He probably wanted his father to be shamed. And that was the crossing of a boundary that should not have been crossed. And the reason why I say that is look at how Japheth and Shem, the two other brothers, handle it. They are so careful not to cross boundaries. They walk backwards into the tent with with a blanket and lay the blanket over their dad while they're facing the other way. And then walk out again without looking. I mean, they are very careful to observe the boundaries that God set down. And going back to Calvin's quote, you and I, we have to learn how to be very careful to observe that basic boundary. If you can't give thanks for God while you're doing it, you shouldn't do it. Even if it's, not a good, if it's not a bad thing, if you're not capable of giving thanks in the way that you do that thing, you need to ask God to work on your heart to help you. Because the crossing of the boundary is the, you know, basically the drunkenness with those created things. It seems like uh, Shem and Japheth would rather suffer than offend their dad and offend God. They were very careful. That's what the Bible calls the fear of God. Ham, you know, really kind of seems to care less. Boundaries, smoundaries to Ham. And then that's the opposite of the fear of God. That's what the Bible calls foolishness. Right? And so the threat of sin is there. How should a follower of Jesus think about sin? You've got to be aware that it's a threat to you. It's not just something that's a threat to those people out there. It's to us. And how should we respond to it? Fear the Lord. You know? Confess, repent, fear God, be be careful, you know, about boundaries. Now secondly, the wide reach of sin. Is there such a thing as a harmless sin? Sure, that may could be a harmless yeah, harmless sin, maybe a harmless lie, maybe, I guess. Um, but in general are there harmless sins? No. Uh, we think there are. I mean, it is very common to think, well, I didn't hurt anybody. That's our number one line, and that's actually the number one line of our whole society, right? If I'm not hurting anybody, why is it wrong? If it feels good to me and it doesn't hurt anybody else, why should it matter? This story is a master class in why it matters. Did Noah getting drunk in his tent hurt anybody? Not really. I mean, it did because of what happened afterwards, right? The curse and all that. But just on the plain face of it, if you're just looking at it from a secular point of view, what he did didn't harm a person. Right? Yeah. If nobody would have saw him, who would have known? Not a big deal. Um, Ham, what, what did he do? Now, he did something that hurt Noah, obviously, right? But beyond that, Was it that? Did what Ham did deserve the curse that you find in verses 25 to 27? If we're just thinking about it only from a human point of view. Probably not, because the curse that's given in 25 to 27 is a generational world-shaping, literally, I mean, I can't overstate this, world-history-shaping curse. The descendants of Canaan would become servants to the descendants of the other two boys The descendants of Shem would be blessed by God and would take the land of the descendants of Ham, Canaan. And that was really the story of Israel in its acorn form right there, just because Noah had too much to drink, got naked, and Ham decided to make a sport of it. What this shows us is that those sins may seem very small to us. They can still have far-reaching effects. Just because you're not hurting anybody with what you do, just because I don't hurt anybody with what I do, doesn't mean that that sin does not have consequences. Right? This, why is that important? It also brings to mind that we think that God introduces the law at Exodus 20, or mountain. Right. Mm-hmm. Clearly, God had told yes. what was right and what was wrong, and he violated the fifth command. Exactly did, yeah. And Shem and Japheth knew it. Yeah. They knew how to not do what Ham That's did. Sort of it's right. So, yeah. It's, yeah. So it's, it's a huge deal. Right. And so Yeah. And exactly right. And that... And that brings up, I mean, what we were talking about this morning, how sin works inside the heart. Uh, once, I'll get you, Alex, one second. The, the sin uh, hurts your heart because even if you're not hurting someone, when you violate your conscience and, and you do what you know is wrong to God, it, it does harm you. This morning in Ephesians, it shows you, I mean, it hardens you, it puts you into darkness, it will eventually lead you into more and more reckless living. Um, you know, had Noah not been sobered by this event, maybe he would have kept doing this. And he would have done more and more and more. I mean, remember what happened when Lot got drunk in his tent? Far worse. If you don't know that story, go look it up. Worse things happened than what happened with Noah drunk in his tent. So it does, it does hurt you. And, and, and it hurt Ham. Ham had hardened his heart by not listening to what God said or respecting it. Alex? Mm. -hmm. And you know, he had that authority, you know, he made the offer and let his family worship. Which was a priestly role. And and so he was a big time authority. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He was. And his family. Exactly. So it wasn't just a dad. Nope. Dad got drunk. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he was a Yeah. That's right. And this is the reason, yeah, that's why the curse of it extends society-wide. I mean, there, nobody was unaffected by the curse. So why didn't know Noah get in trouble or have any problem because of his Because he did something that was wrong, but nobody makes any deal with it. Right. So why is it? Well, I think more than likely, um, well, humanly speaking, there was no one to... At this point, there was no one to come and say to Noah. Well, I, d- I think God was upset. I mean, I don't, think it, I don't think it because it doesn't say doesn't mean he wasn't. I mean, I think the fact that his family afterwards gets split is a good indication that God is judging Noah's sin. It's similar to David. You know, when David had uh, committed adultery, uh, what was the punishment? Your family will always be at war with one another after this. You have caused generational war in your family, you know. And um, so, yeah, the, the difference here is there was no Nathan to confront Noah. Noah was the only, there was no one above him. There was no one in authority above him. That took Alex's point, you know. So what, I mean, what it strikes me, I look at this I'm cut to art. There's no cursing or blessing power in Noah? No, none. It's God. It's God, yeah, so God yeah, makes yeah, First, his son, as a result of his yeah, sin, yeah a great point okay, so that would God reacting. that's God reacting yeah he, really curse him, he, cursed, him he cursed Canaan okay? he, yeah he cursed Canaan so yeah that's a great question that's one of the ones you didn't raise at the beginning but it's it's a big question um, and I think the the main issue here is well first of all we know that when Adam sinned we all sinned with him so God does sometimes work generationally right um, in, in the sense that we become guilty of the father's sins. That is not the case, however, in any other situation except Adam and Jesus. Um, so you aren't guilty of your dad's sins, right? That's not the true anymore. That's only true of Adam and Jesus, because they were especially appointed as those representatives. But, all that to say, um, Noah in this story does kind of stand as almost like a second Adam, since all humanity is going to come from him. And it's additionally true that sin does travel down the family line. Even though we're not guilty of our dad's sin, we're guilty of Adam's, but not our literal, you know, immediate father's sin. Nevertheless, the sins of our fathers do, in fact, get reproduced often into us, usually by way of example and by way of, you know, just teaching and training and who knows what else? I can't get into all the genetic things there, but 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 there's there's a, there's a somehow a, a passing on of the characteristics of the dad and the mother to the children, and that is part of God's judgment and dealing with the human race. It's it's not hard easy to explain all the time, and we can't pretend to have a message from God like Noah did. Noah had a message from God for his children. And I think to, um, to Clint's point, what a difficult thing it was that Noah had to be the one to deliver that message. He was the only one to do it, though. Like I said, there was no other authority besides him on earth, humanly speaking. And so he had to deliver that message. It's tough. And it's, it's important to say this actually does happen. What Noah says actually happens. In fact... When Moses is writing this to the Israelites, it's already happening. The, the children of Shem, Israel, is getting ready to go into the children of Ham's land, Canaan, destroy them as a judgment of God, and take over their land. Like they're they literally living the outplay of the curse of Noah's children. Mysterious, yes? True nevertheless. You know, Even private sins, even minor sins can have an impact beyond what we can imagine. No one may see it, no one may ever know it, and yet the sin that you commit could have impact in you, in your children, in your family. Um, not trying to be overly morbid, but it is just the fact of life, right? It's the fact that the scriptures teach us. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what sins, what, what, which one of God's boundaries are we comfortable with crossing? And what makes us think we ought to be comfortable crossing them? Which sins are we okay with? Which sins are considered respectable and you're still, you're still doing all right, as, even if you do that? I think we've got to be a little bit more hard on ourselves in that respect. And let the scriptures call us to account. Uh, because God, God takes sin seriously, even, even the small ones, even the ones that happen in your tent. You know, what a man does in the privacy of his bedroom is up to him. That's what we say, right? Well, no, it it was in the privacy of his bedroom and it wasn't just about him. It spilled out. And uh, let's get to the last point because this is going to need, we need this grace that overcomes sin because all of us in the privacy of our rooms and in our own private lives have sinned greatly against God. We've turned so many good things into God things and have have done so many things that would warrant problems in our children and grandchildren, right? We all have done it. And yet, notice what this story is about. It's about how God provides a way through His design to cover the shame of sinners. Look at Shem and look at Japheth. First, before you consider what they did, consider what Noah says about them in verse 26. Cursed be Canaan, but he does not say, Blessed be Shem. What does he say? Blessed be the God of Shem. Blessed be the Lord. Why does he say it that way? Because what Shem and Japheth did, good though it was, was not ultimately owing to them. It was something they had gotten from God. How did they get it, you say? Well, what was the first thing Noah and his family did when they got out of the ark? Killed an animal. Why did they do that? To cover their sin and shame. They understood the way God reacts to his people's sin. God doesn't come to blast it out to the world. He doesn't post it on Facebook and shame us about it like Ham did. He comes like Shem and Japheth did back to us covering us over fully with the blood and the death and resurrection of Jesus so that our sins don't have to ever again see the light of day. That's how God deals with the sins of his people. And so Shem and Japheth were just doing simply what they had learned from their God to do. Which is the reason why Noah doesn't say, Blessed be Shem, blessed be Japheth, but blessed be God. Like we read this morning in Ephesians, Forgive one another and be tenderhearted to one another. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven you. And so when I forgive Bob or Bob forgives me, the, the, the glory doesn't go to me or Bob. The glory goes to God. Blessed be God that he would bless Bob in such a way that Bob would be able to forgive Stan. What a knucklehead Stan is. And that Bob could forgive him? Wow. Blessed be God. Shem and Japheth are kind of like, well, they're Christ figures in this story. They're Christ figures. You know what I mean by that? Like they, they foreshadow Christ in the story. You say it the other way around. Jesus is the greater Shem and the greater Japheth. When we were drunk, passed out naked in the tent of our sins, Jesus came in backwards. <laughs> And covered us fully. Isn't that good? Shows you, actually, even more, how bad it was what Ham did. Because Ham should have known the same thing, because he was at that worship service too, and at all the other worship services where all the other animals died to cover his sin. And yet, even though he thought his sin was covered, he didn't have enough grace in his heart to want to cover his dad's sin. So essentially what you have between the two family lines is clearly developing here is a line of true believers and a line of fake believers, Ham being the fake believer, Shem and Japheth, the true believer, who have brought into themselves and have and so, you know, drunk in deeply at the wells of God's grace that when they see a situation that they could get mad about or do what Ham did, out of them comes graciousness and tenderheartedness. They cover for their father. Wow. It's not that they thought that what their dad did was okay. That's why they covered it. (laughs) That's why they wouldn't even look at it, because they knew it was shameful. And when Jesus came, he didn't say our sin was okay. He wouldn't even look at it. And when Jesus was crucified in our place for our sins, people wouldn't even look at him because he looked so horrendous. And yet, even though he wouldn't even look at the sin because he knew it was wrong, yet he willingly, in mercy, gave himself up for it on the cross. Shem and Japheth and Ham and Noah, this story is more than just a curiosity. Moses is writing it in here, not because he's like, hey, I got this great story about nudity and, you know, people will be asking questions about this for ages to come. No, this is a story truly about the grace of God. And about how in a, in a world like ours, even after God's gracious act of the flood, when sin is still there with us, and we still can't get out of our own way, yet God comes in backwards to cover it all. Any thoughts? Blessed be God, the Lord, the God of Shem. And any thoughts about that? Love to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, you know, not even going to look at it, yeah, I don't even want to have a memory of what I'm seeing here, wow, isn't that, doesn't that show grace, and you know, we as people quite often don't want to forgive ourselves for what we've done, yes, and it's we true, we have got to remember that God doesn't hold that yeah. on us the way we hold it on us, that's right. Mm -hmm. that's a very good point Yeah, we don't often take in the fullness of what God has done for us so next time imagine yourself in the tent that thing you can't can't let go of you can't believe God forgave you imagine you there in the worst part of your life laying there exposed and God came in backwards (laughs) covered you and didn't plan to say another word about it Not another word. yeah that can go from our head to heart, yeah. you know? change your life. We can hear it. We hear what you're saying. Oh yeah. But let that let it sink in, you know. Sometimes you gotta actually think about like put yourself there. I mean visualize it. You you're you're ashamed and God came and covered you. Completely. Every part. Hmm. Wow. It's good. Let me tell you, that there is no other religion in the whole world that would ever tell a story like this in their holy book, which I love. I love the Bible. I love Christianity, you know, for this reason, that it's just proof positive that it's not about us. It's not about climbing a ladder to heaven or something like that. This is truly about the holiness of God touching down to earth. And lavishing grace, like the prodigal son's father, you know, just, I mean, think about that story too, where he covers him with a robe, same thing, you know, the proverb that says love covers a multitude of sins, you know, wow, other thoughts, well, go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, literarily, there's fruit, there is nakedness, there is mm-hmm. shame, there is blessing and curse, all yep. the stories. Um, and we've been reading, like, at dinner time with our kids through Genesis and trying to point out how the themes move along. and mm-hmm. say don't eat that piece of fruit right mm-hmm. uh, and and just disobeying God's word on something that even should be good for you mm-hmm. just gets expanded here and continues the, those consequences keep it in yeah. so that's, that's right uh, exactly right yeah and in that story God covers them with the death of an animal in this story I just love the fact that God, who is getting ready to send his own son to cover our sins, sends Noah's two sons to cover his sins, there's just, there's just so much good in that. I just love how God, how God works, and I hope you do too. He, he works in such a beautiful way, in a way that meets our need perfectly. So...